in a series of sermons, uh, Journeying with Jesus uh, to Jerusalem, that we're calling it the Costly Journey. And you've, uh, if you've been here, you've heard some uh, great messages talking about what it cost us to follow Jesus. Because Jesus uh, was there in Nazareth, and then he uh, was in Judea or Galilee, and he said, I'm going to set my face towards Jerusalem. And he begins this journey with the disciples, gathering people around him along the journey, uh, telling stories and, and reminding us that we who follow Jesus, it's going to bear a cost. In fact, as he begins the journey, soon after he says, I'm going to head to Jerusalem, we hear these words, everyone who follows after me has to take up their cross daily. That's the way Luke describes it, daily, and follow me. Now, what he's saying there is daily we have to die to self so that we can live the life that he intends for us to live. And so you've heard uh, stories uh, like the, uh, the Good Samaritan, and you've heard about Martha and Mary. And, and this week we're going to uh, read a very familiar passage of Scripture to many people. And uh, let us look at it. It comes from Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Uh, starting with verse 11. Then Jesus said, There is a man who had two sons. The youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he, the father, divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens in that country who sent him to the field so to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. And go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out a robe and the best one and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now this elder son was in the field. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes. He killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, 
and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, has come to life, is lost, and now has been found. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus tells many stories and parables to illustrate to the people who he's talking to illustrations about the kingdom, about what God's kingdom is like. And we know that this story of this lost son, this father who had two sons, is, is very, very familiar. That and the Good Samaritan, even folks that have never been to church have heard of the Good Samaritan and the story of this lost boy. But because they become so familiar, well, they've lost their power, their impact, their punch, because, well, we know the outcome. We, we get what's going to happen. So I'm going to ask you, as we start out, where do you find yourself in this passage? Where do you find yourself in this passage? Because it's so easy to, to think, well, we know the outcome of this. We know that there's a good and loving God. We know that this younger boy is going to be accepted. But ask yourself, where do you find yourself at this moment in this passage? Where are you? Because there's Several characters, of course, there's the fatted calf and the slaves. I'm not talking about them. There's the father, there's the younger son, and the older son. And maybe at some point in your life, maybe right now, you are one of those. So let's go through those for just a moment. There's the father. And we know that Jesus starts out this parable talking to these Pharisees and Sadducees who are degrading uh, Jesus' behavior because he's welcoming everybody. There's his father, Jesus said, who had two sons. And this father was obviously a wealthy nobleman. He was someone that had land. Not, not everybody in that day and time had land. Lots of people were landless. They were servants or slaves. So this man, it was a person of means. There's his father, and he had two sons. And the younger son says to him, Dad, you know, when you die, I'm going to get a bunch of stuff. Well, I want that stuff right now. I want whatever's due to me and my inheritance to come to me right now. So what is this younger son saying to this loving father? Basically, you are dead to me. I'd rather you be dead and I have my stuff that is due to me, than that you be alive. And so the father graciously goes beyond expectations, goes beyond what is the norm. Okay, I'll divide my property. And in that day and time, it was generally the custom that the older son would get two-thirds of everything, and the younger son would get one-third, and if there's other sons, and then they would divide that one-third between them. But that's not the case here. There's only two sons. So the younger son gets one-third of the property. There's land, you see. And then not only has he broken the norms, has he shocked everybody by saying to the father, I want what's due to me when you die right now, he, to get money, sells the family land, land that may have been in the family for generations, land that was a part of who these people were. They were identified with the land. And this son said, I'm breaking all relationships, not only with you, Father, but with my, with my past, with all my heritage. I want to sell it all, and I'm going to start something new. So he sells the land, cutting himself off, not only from the Father, but from his entire heritage 
And he goes off and takes what he had. And, well, we'll talk about him in just a moment. But what, what can you imagine the father doing? Seeing that he'd been deeply wounded by uh, this son and deeply wounded not only him but the entire family and people and all the community were talking about what a tragedy this was and, what, and, and, what a, and against the norm that this was. It broke all of societal norms for a son to do something like this. The father was enduring the shame, the guilt. But do you think whenever he's working the field, which way he's looking? Towards the far country, right? Waiting for that boy to return. Waiting for that son to come home because he knew that son was in a place that he had never been. And he was worried, sick about him. Well, here's the son coming home destitute and in rags. And the father had every right just to stand back indignant that this boy would come, dare to come home after wasting every bit of his wealth. He could have stood like this and made the boy grovel at his feet. But what's the text say? What's Jesus say in this story? He says that the man Looking in the distance, that's how we know that he was always peeking over the horizon, looking towards where that far country was. When he sees his boy, he does something that is unheard of for a rich Jewish nobleman. He picks up his robes. He starts to run to the boy. That's not something that an elderly man would do. And he runs and he embraces this younger son who approached him in rags with no shoes on his feet, dirty, smelling of pigs. And before the son can hardly say anything, the man embraces the boy, healing the relationship with his hug. And as the son is starting to talk about, well, you know, Father, I'm not deserving of anything that, uh, that you would want to offer me. Just make me one of your hired servants. The father says, quickly, get some good clothes on this boy. Get that good suit that's there hanging in my closet. Bring it to him. Put him on him. And, you know, we can't have a boy of mine going around without shoes now, can we? Get some shoes for his feet. And get that ring that I have there on the dresser, a ring of my authority. Place it on his finger. Because my boy is home. And then he says one more thing. I, I just can't keep this joy to myself. You know those steaks we've been saving for the holidays? Let's get those things out. Because we're going to have a grand celebration. For this boy of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And we're told that they have an elaborate party. We'll all come. But there's something you got to realize. That what the father did set aside all societal norms. And everybody in that village was saying, what's this man thinking? What is this man thinking? He should have made that boy grovel. He shouldn't even have welcomed him back. He should have cast him out and not even let him come home. Made him at least apologize. But the father 
set those things aside for the sake of love. You ever know anybody that's had to do things like that? I know of a family that had a son that decided to choose a lifestyle that was different than everything that they knew or believed. And when the mother and dad decided to question the boy about this, he grew greatly offended by it. And he said, I'm getting out of here. Y'all don't understand me. And he left. And he bounced from house to house, from friend's apartment to friend's bed. And he even spent a few nights on the streets. And his parents heard about this. And they're distraught that their boy seems so lost. So they go out and try to find him. They don't. But word gets back to this boy that the, his parents are out trying to find him. And touched by their care for him, he texts them and, and says, Can I come home? And he said, Of course. You're always welcome here, no matter what. And when he came home, some of their friends said, what are you welcoming him home for? You know what he's doing. You know what he's like. You know what he's been up to. You ought to, you ought to make him get his act cleaned up before you welcome him here. You shouldn't accept him. And when they brought him to church, oh my gosh, you, you would have thought the devil himself had walked through the back door of that place. And they were shunned. But you see, they said, we've got to welcome him and love him. So they bracketed some of their held beliefs and their understanding of things. For that's what love does. It puts aside what other people expect to welcome home the one who's been lost and broken and hurting. You don't understand, y'all, what the older, old father did on behalf of the son. He cast aside all the societal norms. He endured the whispering and the gossip and the, the people in the village shunning him, saying, you don't do things like that. That son has embarrassed you and our entire village. But the father set aside societal norms, bore the cost, paid the price, because that's what love does. That's what love does. And some of you all may have had to do that as a parent. For some of the greatest joys that you'll ever experience is being a parent. And some of the greatest heartaches you'll endure is by being a parent. And even if you never have kids, someone is going to hurt you and wound you and break you. And you will have to reach out to them for the sake of a relationship sometimes, for the sake of love. That's what that father did. You ever been there? Ever been there? Well, then we have this other character in the text, this, this younger son. And this younger son, as you heard in the, in the scriptures, and as I just described when talking about the father, says to his dad, Dad, I, I wish you were dead. And so give me what is due to me right now so that I can go and live my life the way I see it and go and experience the pleasures of this world that I think I deserve right now, not waiting for them. And so the younger son does that. He heads off to the far country, and while he has his back pocket jingling with cash, 
everything's good. But then when he runs out of money, when he's spending all, all these newfound friends that he has, well, they're no longer his friends anymore, are they? And he becomes in great need when his plans for himself don't work out and they fail. And so he gets to the lowest edge ebb that a Jewish boy can be in. He starts feeding pigs. Now, to understand how bad that is, in this day and time in, in, in Judaism, there's various belief systems on dietary laws. There's some that are still very strict. There's some that aren't so strict. And there's some that are pretty free with, uh, with their dietary laws. But almost every Jewish sect stays away from pork. You're never going to see something that says Bubba Rabinowitz's Pork Barbecue Restaurant. That, that's not going to happen. But at the lowest edge in this boy's life, he has to hang out with swine because that's how desperate he is. He's at the lowest ebb. And he's there wishing that he could stick his hand in the slop bucket to get something to eat. Now, you may not be at the lowest ebb, but I imagine there may be someone within the sound of my voice that feels that way, that they're at their lowest ebb of their life. They're, they're backed against the wall. They have lost, seem like, everything. Or you think that you have done something so bad that there's no way that you can ever return home. But hear this. There's a wideness in God's mercy for everyone. A wideness in this mercy. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's inviting you home. And the love of God is far greater than any mere words can be that can be stated. Even the words of our Savior, Jesus, do not adequately describe, because they come from human lips, adequately describe how broad, how deep, how long, how wide, how great is God's love for you. To invite you home, to heal your hurts, to mend your brokenness, to forgive your sins. If that's where you are in your life, then do as the prodigal did. He surrendered himself, came to himself, and made the hard journey home. Y'all, it's there for you. You need it, and we all need it. Now, sometimes we need this love with skin on it. You know, it's one thing to say a prayer and, and to feel, uh, you know, God giving us this sense of forgiveness, but sometimes when we're so far away in this pig pen of our own making, we need help. We need someone to share with us in a very practical way that we're loved. To walk along the journey with us, a fellow struggler who has been along that pathway and help us along this, this road strewn with grace to help us make it to the place that God wants us to be, home. So if that's you, maybe struggling with some addiction, struggling with something that is... It, carrying your life downward, find 
people. Maybe for some Alcoholics Anonymous, we have several groups that meet in this church throughout the week. Maybe Narcotics Anonymous. It may be finding someone that you can be real with, telling that person everything that's going on in your life, and you know that person will accept you no matter what. Maybe a support group, a community group that is a part of this congregation where you can be truly real and feel like you're being beckoned home by this incredible love of God through the voice of the other people that are around you, through their embrace, through their holding their hands, through their prayers. That may be you at that lowest ebb, needing someone to tell you that you're cared for and loved. That may be you. Begin the journey, the grace-strewn journey home. But I imagine that most of the folks within the sound of my voice, whether you're tuning in online or sitting here in this place, you're not at your lowest ebb. In fact, there's a lot of folks here that have done pretty well for themselves. Successful at school, done well in athletics or in music, done well in your career. You've got lots of stuff that is, that is going well in your life. You've got, you know, the things that you had hoped for and dreamed of. And somehow those things may even sound great to people in the world around you, but you still feel far from home. Hmm. A guy named Alvin Rogan, a, a former seminary professor who's passed away, wrote a book saying when everything goes wrong. He says, you know, if I was retelling the story in this day and time, I'd have the younger son get the inheritance, go to the far country, buy stocks, trade bonds, invest wisely, and become fabulously wealthy. And he had all of the things that he had ever wanted and dreamed of. He had the big house. He had the big car. He had the lake place. He had the beach place. He had everything that he ever wanted. And when they're having a banquet celebrating this very successful man, he looks out amongst the crowd and says, I feel so empty. This has all been about me. This is so far from what, how, and why I was raised. And so he leaves the banquet. And Alvin Rogan is retelling this. He goes to the family farm and he says, Dad, I failed to be the boy you raised me to be. For you taught me to care for others. And all I've cared for is myself. Y'all, whenever we think of ourselves, whenever it is all about us, when it's like that Toby Key song, I want to talk about me, when, when it's all about me, we are in the far country. So far from the home that God intends us to live, to live in where we live and love for him and for others. That loss son, that younger son, may be you. Come home and let Jesus 
help you overcome your selfishness so that you might experience the life that he intends for us all to live, where he truly is our vision, where he truly is our high king, where he truly is the one that is our way, our truth, our life, the abundance of who he longs for us to become. Because we don't have to be in the gutter to be in the far country. We could be in a palace as big as this campus and still be lost and far from home. So, talked about the father, talked about this younger son, this son who goes out and seeks after his own fortune, not caring about what anyone else thinks or needs or does. Then we have the older boy. And this is the very dutiful son. This is the guy that had no absences from Sunday school, perfect attendance at, at, at his elementary school and high school. He was the one that kept all the laws, did his duty, uh, became respectable there in the town. He was the one that carried on the family business very successfully. He was the one that worked hard, obeyed the Ten Commandments. Everyone looked up to. He was the one that did his duty. And so he's out in the field working. He comes in hearing a bunch of noise like a party's going on, notices that the fatted calf is no longer in the pen, and wonders, has the king come to visit daddy? I mean, there, there's all this stuff going on. The, the prized cow that we were saving for the holidays isn't longer, is no longer there. It's got to be someone super special that's come back home. And who is it? The boy finds out. This no good, worthless, shiftless son of his father. And he's furious. And he will not go in to that banquet, that party. He refuses even to think about going in. And, and finally, the, the father comes out to talk to him. And you can imagine what the dad, uh, what he said to his dad. He said, there is no way I'm coming back into this place. There's no way I'm going to be in there with him. You let this boy rob you blind. You let this boy take the ring that was dutifully mine, taken from my share of the inheritance and given him that, given him the best clothes that are rightfully mine, and you gave it to him. There's no way I'm going to go and be there with that person. There's no way that I'm going to do that. No way. You ever been there? Where we see some people that, well, I don't know if I can be there with somebody like that. I don't think folks like that deserve any grace or mercy. I don't think people like that should join the celebration. Because they're, well, they haven't done their duty. They haven't obeyed the law. They have flaunted all the social norms. They shouldn't be allowed to come. For y'all, that's the crux of this story. Remember, as we look at the beginning of the chapter here in Luke 15, Jesus is talking to religious leaders who are distraught 
who are furious that Jesus is hanging out with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. And he's telling them three beautiful stories of God's accepting grace for everybody. For everybody. But there are us church folks, you see, that have a hard time with that. You mean I've been doing my duty all my life? And God, you're going to allow folks like that into the kingdom? I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Father. And we all have people like that. We all have people that we say, God, you're really going to let that person in? After all they've done, after how they've squandered the inheritance of their life, you're going to let that person in? How dare you? And who are those people for you? Now, for Episcopalians, it's for people who use the wrong salad fork. I get that. That's, that's the, the ultimate insult. But, God, do you really let in child abusers? Do you really let in murderers? God, do you uh, really let in people who think that way and act that way, who are, are this political persuasion that offends me and seems to offend everything that I think I believe about you? Do you let the people that drive around in those types of vehicles with those bumper stickers, you let them in? Yeah. All who turn to come home, he lets in. All who have squandered the inheritance of their lives and yet say, I've sinned against you, Father, all. Because you see, our lives are this great treasure that God has given to us. Our flesh, our bones, our eyes, our ears, our talents, and our abilities. And in some ways, don't we all squander those? In some ways, aren't we all like the lost son? We all need grace, you see. And how dare we not extend it to everybody, even those for whom it is so hard to say, really, him, her? Yes, them. There's an old Jewish story about uh, Moses would go up to the mountaintop and talk to God about things, and, and then he'd come back down and uh, go back up. And some people would say, to Moses, Moses, ask God about this or that, the other thing. And, there, and there's a, a very faithful Jew that went to the synagogue each and every day. And he was there and did all the religious duties. And he asked Moses to ask God about what he thinks of me. And there's this bum that just hung around the street corner and, and was wasting life. And, you know, he, he was there uh, drinking and carousing and doing all sorts of things. And the bum said, ask God, Moses, about me. And so Moses went up the mountain and asked God about this faithful Jewish person and then this, this bum that was on the street. And Moses heard from God, said, uh, well, Moses, tell the faithful Jew he's got a place here in my kingdom. And then Moses said to the bum, he said, you're bound for, uh, for perdition if, unless you change. Well, 
many years later, Moses is uh, on the other side, and he asked God, uh, well, you remember that time I asked about this bum, that faithful Jew? What happened to them? He said, well, the bum's here sitting on my right side. He said, what? He said, yeah, he changed his ways. He turned. He came unto me. And we became great friends. Well, what about the other guy? What about that faithful Jew? He said, he's not up here with us. What happened? And God said to Moses, well, the Jew said, if someone like that bum is here in heaven, then I don't want to be here. And then at the end of the story, the writer says this. God said, you can be close to me all your life and yet never know me. You can be close to me all your life and yet you never know me. Meaning you can do your Bible studies, you can go to Sunday school, you can come to worship, you can do all the religious duties. And you never know that the heart of God is about infinite love. Think about the older boy. Think about him. He was with the father every day, working with him in the fields. He was there with him every day, sharing meals with him. Morning, noon, and night. He was with the Father every time they went to the synagogue together. He was with the Father as they carried on conversations. And yet, he did not know that the Father was a person of infinite love. Accepting and embracing all. Even this younger boy. Even this older son. Who was so tied up in his hatred and his jealousy that he could not go in to the party. We've got to ask ourselves in our own hearts, who is it, God, that I'd have a hard time being in the kingdom with? And we say, Lord, melt my heart. Include that person. Include those people so that I can enter into your kingdom of joy too. Because there's one more thing I want to point out to you about this story. Did anything that I read to you use the word that is typically used for the story? It said prodigal. Did you hear me say that? Prodigal. That's often called that, the story of the prodigal son. And if I asked you what prodigal meant, I don't know if how many people would get the answer right. Because, I, you know, when you look at it, because on the title, when I read the, the text where I put my Bible, there it is. It says the story of the prodigal son. But that's not in the text at all. That was something put in by later commentators. The word prodigal means lavish. Means uh, someone that without abandon. Someone that just thoughtlessly gives away. Yeah, some people have said that's what this younger son did. He was prodigal when he went to far country. He lavishly spent. He, without abandon, gave everything away. He, without abandon, he, he was the one as a prodigal. But no, y'all, the one who's a prodigal is the storyteller, Jesus. Look at how he has lavished love on all the universe. For as we read in the first part of John, it is in him and through him all things were lavishly, without regard, created. Every one of us has been given this great gift of this life, lavishly bestowed to us by this Jesus. And look at how without regard for himself, Jesus lavishly loved 
all who mourn around him. The prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors, yeah, those, but even to those self-righteous and stuck-up Pharisees and Sadducees. He wanted them to have a better life, and that's why he was chiding them. He lavished love on them. And y'all, without regard for self, he abandoned all to go to the cross so that you might know that you're lavishly loved by him, that you are invited home. Jesus, the prodigal, lavishes love on you. And he invites you, invites you to come home, to leave your selfish ways, to find a place in the abundance of his love. He invites you, some that are are resisting to come to the party and celebration because you say, those folks are going to be there. He's, He's saying, step through the door, enter into my joy. For the prodigal son, Jesus, the one who lavishly loves, invites you to come to the feast and to become the sons and daughters that God and Jesus long for you to become. So friends, let the Lord love you home where every tear is wiped away where every burden is laid down and where there is joy unimaginable because Jesus is there throwing a party for all who will come. You, me, and all he invites to walk the grace-strewn path in his kingdom. Amen, amen, and amen. Let us pray. Father, we come before you right now knowing that you do what's unexpected. You allow what is beyond the norms. You, you, Father, because you love us so much, you let us stray. Not because you want us to, but because you've given this great gift of freedom. But Father, when we do stray, when we are so selfish, when we are uh, try to do things our own way to find our own happiness, God, draw us back home. Let us come to our true selves, meaning who we are meant to be in you. Let us make the walk along the pathway that is covered with your grace as shown to us by Jesus. Find a way to your embrace to be healed of our hurts, healed of the disappointments of our past, healed of the failures of our own attempts to find happiness yield of our emptiness within our own hearts. And may we, God, then as we receive that grace, be graceful for others, even sometimes when it's so hard, God, and we, we question how can those people be included. God, you long for everyone to be included in the great banquet where your kingdom of joy is celebrated and it's filled with your love. So God, as we leave this place, wherever we find ourselves right now, let us come to our true selves, which means ourselves in Jesus.